0: Good evening everybody and a very warm welcome back to the Happy Hockey podcast and episode eight. My name is Peter Thomas and I'm the head coach and founder of Happy Hockey and tonight my guest is Tyler Henshaw, coach for Albion uh, in the community. Good evening Tyler. Hiya. Nice to have you here. Yeah thanks for having me. It's all right you're very welcome. Um, As ever the podcast is going to be split into two halves just like a game of hockey in the first half we're going to talk to Tyler about uh, his journey and to where he's come from to where he's got to uh, and ask him to talk a bit more about his current role with Alvin in the community uh the halftime break this week is going to be looking at the idea of career and purpose and something i found upon to do with uh, something called if I pronounce it right, Ikigai, which is a Japanese term for life purpose. And in the second half, we're going to go back to Tyler on a bit more detail and talk about advice for young coaching coaches, given uh, he is a little bit uh, younger than myself. So not to give away too much about my age. Um, and then finally, as ever, we'll ask Tyler to come up with some three key takeaways, just as a, a finishing point um, to wrap up the session. nicely. so, uh, there we go. That's it. Tyler, over to you. Um, where did it all start for you?
1: Yeah, so I've had a, a long journey, even though, like I said, I'm I'm a bit younger. It all started probably as soon as I left school, really. Um, I started coaching an under-13s um, boys football team. And then from there, just really involved. Uh, hmm. I did sixth form for a year where I did level three sports. And then from there... I went to Alvin Community and did um, a level three futsal scholarship, and um, so footsal. Oh, right. yeah, so futsal is where it's basically indoor football five side, and it's a bit more technical and a faster game. Uh, mm-hmm. So I really learned all my trade from that really, like to develop as a coach and um, not only as a player really, so but
0: yeah. is the ball the same size?:
1: No the ball's like a bit more of like a size four. And it's harder as well, so it doesn't bounce as high. So everything's basically on the ground. Um, You're using different parts of your uh, body as well. So when you control the ball, you use your soul. um, And like I say, it's a lot faster. The fitness in it is unbelievable.
0: Okay. And so um, how does it differ to traditional 11-a-side outdoor football?
1: Um, I'd say it's a bit more technical. Um, in terms of mm-hmm. always on the ball, you're getting the ball lots more um, compared to a side where, obviously, you could be in a game and you don't receive the ball for 10 minutes. But in futsal, you're constantly on the ball and you're constantly um, trying to press um, and looking to win it. So, it's a lot faster pace. And then, obviously, the goals are a little bit smaller. Um, and then there's little rule adaptations as well. Um, so, when mm-hmm. you have, like, a throw-in in futsal, it's a kick-in. Um so four right. seconds to get the ball straight back into it.
0: Okay. Oh and what are the other the other rules that perhaps differ to the out the eleven side outdoor?
1: Um so if you're in your defending half and you receive mm-hmm. the ball, um you can't pass it back to your goalkeeper sort of thing. Um that's the, that's okay. the main one. And uh, there's no off sides. So um right. you can go as high as you want and then obviously if the goalie receives the ball he has four seconds um to get rid of it as well.
0: All oh, right. And are there things like corners in the same way and yeah, so and you can score from anywhere?
1: Yeah, basically yeah. So you have four seconds again um from when the whistle's blown, um to get the ball straight back in. Um And, yeah, they're the main rules, really. And then the other rules, obviously, like with tackles and stuff like that, if it's a foul, then it's a free kick sort of thing. But um, they have um, a five-foul accumulation, a bit like basketball. Oh,
0: right. If you make
1: five fouls, then the other team gets a penalty. But the penalty isn't on the penalty spot. It's a bit further back.
0: Right. Okay. So, And you said it was... Five aside, is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so a goalie and four outfield players, yeah, that's
1: it. But sometimes, say you're like losing the game by one goal, you might have five outfield players, and that's called a fly goalkeeper. Um, and those, okay. they'll look to play as an outfield player as well,
0: yeah. So there's a, an adi- a which is you no, know, you can, I suppose, choose to do in outdoor football, but perhaps, um not done very much, Yeah, no, it? I'm
1: not really seeing it, except for the goalie going up for a corner but um, yeah, predominantly you put out an outfield player um, instead of a goalkeeper looking to try and create an overload almost
0: OK, uh, and in terms of the squad and, and substitutions, are you allowed replacements in the same way perhaps you are in rugby or is it just, is it, is, is it limited? How do the substitutions no, so it's, work? it's a
1: bit different in the football, it's roll on, roll off um, so you can go okay. on as many times as you want and come off as many times you want. Um, usually, mm-hmm. if you're playing like, internationally, you can have up to 10 people on the bench. And what they'll do is... 10, ten on the bench? Yeah, so they'll just keep rotating teams almost. Um, like, And the game's only yeah. 20 minutes each way as well. Um, but every time the ball goes out, they stop the clock. Um, a right. bit, obviously, a bit different than football where you play on to extra time. But with that, they stop the clock. Um, who's the fourth official... Um, who's the timekeeper and then um, yeah so it's all you're constant literally as you go on and um, you'll probably only be playing for three minutes and then you'll come off again
0: so higher intensity yeah. perhaps yeah the, definitely out, the 11 aside. yeah I'll say okay. 100% and, and what was it that got you into that as, as a le- take your level 3 in
1: that Um, So basically, I just went to careers day and um, there was someone there from our community um, talking about it and I just felt really interested about it and they said I can um, not only just play, but I can coach as well, so they'll help me get through my coaching badges um, and that's exactly what I did Um, and the coaches on it were really, really good. Um, I had Owen Fisher who's now, I believe, the under-23s goalkeeper coach and uh, Danny Cullip Who's a um, former Brighton player, and he used to be the captain for Brighton as well as our coaches. Um, so I just felt it was a really good experience to learn off them as
0: well. So that, sorry, that first one that you mentioned, you say they're under 23s coach, goalkeeper coach. Who who's that? Who was that? Who's that now? For
1: uh, Owen Fisher, yeah. So um, at the time he was the head of the futsal program, uh, but now he's gone on to do uh, academy stuff.
0: For him. uh Brighton, sorry, oh for Brighton, yeah, Albion, a, yeah, the football club, the, the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And is that the men's team? He's the, the goalkeeper, yeah, coach that's, for? yeah, or... so
1: yeah, just one, one below the first team. Um, I believe he does the under 18s as well, and then he puts on a few sessions for the younger age groups, um, football based, but predominantly he's a goalkeeper coach. Um, but when he was doing us, he was doing uh, all football, uh, futsal based, um, sessions.
0: Okay. Uh, and and how much futsal is there in in Brighton and and the wider Sussex area? Uh,
1: well it's not as big as it used to be when it, when we did it. Um there used to be loads uh-huh. of different teams. So Chelsea had a team, uh Norwich would have a team, um Peterborough, and what would happen is we'd meet in one central venue. Um so we go to the Southern Division. Which is in London, and we'd all meet there, and we'd usually get two games, um, and you just play each other in, in, in the season, and then uh, Brighton had four teams: A, B, and C, um, and D.
0: And how would or would they all play? How how would the league system then work for those four teams? Um, so
1: yeah, there'll be like like almost like the Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. And then, obviously, if you win your league, you go up. Or if you're the top division, um, then you're the champions. And then, also, there used to be a Soccer AM Cup. And, basically, Soccer AM used to fund it. Um, They used to film it, as well, and put it on Soccer AM. And then, um, obviously, promote the futsal-based stuff. And then, uh, a few of the lads got to go on TV, as well, which is pretty cool. And then, you play everyone. So, you play North and South, um, the best teams. So, whoever... Um, got first, second, and third in their division will go to this Soccer AM Cup.
0: Okay, and how many teams were there in a, in a division? Um, I
1: believe six or seven.
0: Okay, so a combined sort of 20 across all four divisions?
1: Yeah, yeah, about that, yeah.
0: And just and out of interest, I suppose, just bringing it back to you and, and, and going and back a stage, what, what was it about sport and coaching that attracted you in the first place? I appreciate you you mentioned the going to the careers day and now being in the community, being there. But, but what was it that attracted you to that sort of route in the first place? Yeah,
1: so it probably started off at a young age and I just started playing football, mate's. And then I got into a football team at a young age um, probably started about nine and then basically progressed through mm-hmm. there. And then in school, um, I basically did everything. I did athletics, rugby, uh, basketball, football. I did everything, basically. And I do owe it a lot to sport, to be fair, um, in terms of it, it in a cliche way. Um, it saved me almost because academically, I wasn't the brightest. Um, And it kept me out of trouble as well, to be fair. So I do owe a lot to to doing sport. And then just from doing that, um, I always knew I wasn't going to be a professional, but I wanted to stay within the sport. And I knew my next progression would be to go into coaching. So at the age of 16, that's what I decided. And then it just spiralled out from there, really.
0: Okay. And what do you think some of the other sports that you did sort of helped you with in terms of your not just your person personal development but also your sort of progression and decision to, to further yourself um, in football. It's, it's really football.
1: interesting like doing different sports like <laughs> athletics, you learn how to run um like the techniques um and the power mm. within it. So I, I did four hundred meters a long jump and I feel like the four hundred is Really okay. relatable to football because obviously, um, you're not going 100 miles an hour straight away, you're building up to it. Um, and then obviously, like rugby and stuff like that, the way they set up is a bit different than football, but you can take it within to the game. Um, mm-hmm. and then basketball as well that flips into um, almost futsal based. Um, but um, basketball is obviously with your hands, but futsals with your feet, but it's the same principles. Um, when you're moving. Um, when you're running, etc., and obviously um, how you defend as well is a bit like basketball, so it all transfers
0: within to that. Mhm. And, and in terms of, I suppose, taking to one at a time, but the, the rugby situation first. How does the difference in rugby help the the, the situation of football, uh, football? Mainly
1: is sociologically um, in terms of, like, the respect um, okay. and how you prepare. You can't go into a game losing your mm-hmm. head. Whereas in football, I probably did that more at a younger age. was like, if, if you lost your head, then that was it. But rugby gave you that, um, almost tamed you a bit. Even though it's more of a physical sport in terms of trying to tackle people and it's hectic and stuff like that. You have to deal with it, but you can't react to it because if, if you're reacting, then they're just going to throw the ball and then, you know, run and score a try sort of thing. So i say the psychological demands in rugby definitely helped me. Um, and it gave me more respect um, in terms of the way... I like how they respect the referees, how they respect teams. Uh, it's very, very mm-hmm. different to football because in football, mm-hmm. you know... You can argue with a referee, but in rugby, it doesn't really happen. And then at the end of the game, you're all shaking hands, you're all mates. But in football, it can be a little bit more brutal than that. So I definitely took that away from rugby, to be fair.
0: Well, that's, that's really good to hear. And yeah, it's even most recently with the England Wales game with Owen Farrell, just the referee stopping him talking to him. And it was noticeable on the TV that. There is no arguing if the referee says that's yeah, enough. Yeah, hundred percent. I then would love enough, to see that more in football, so.
1: to be honest, because there's a lot of controversies at the moment. Obviously, with the VAR, uh, the refereeing standard, but I do feel there mm. needs to be a bit more respect within within the game, um, and that's something rugby do really well. I feel.
0: Mhm. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Something to learn from rugby about. Okay. Uh, and in terms of. The basketball. So you said it was more similar. Um, obviously, you've the got the five hours as else well, there?
1: Um, and then just the rotations as well. So even though yeah. you're playing a position, you'll rotate mm. around. Like a bit different to football. If you're playing left wing, you'll be okay. playing on that left side. But in futsal, you could yep. be playing. You could go from the top person who's yep. the striker to the defending person who's the furthest back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit like basketball, you're always constantly rotating, and um, yep. I think that, and then there's that transition element as well. So you're going straight from attack down to defense. Mm. There's no time to, you know, almost reset. You've got to get back straight away. Um, a bit different of football; it's a little bit more slower down.
0: Yes, and I suppose with the the reduced size of the pitch, which I think yeah. you mentioned. Or at least I've got in my head and and, and the speed of the game that actually the tur- the, the time between turning over and, and, and having to get back is, yeah, is, is significantly you, the less you've got to think quicker, haven't you? Respond fast. You literally
1: gotta act within two seconds. Otherwise, you know, you're not in the game. Um and in football you can get away with it a bit more, but in like footsal or basketball you've got to think straight away. Um so you're constantly thinking all the time, what's my next move? Where am I gonna go next? Um, And then obviously you've got to deal with pressure more as well. So someone will be running towards you all the time and you've got to deal with it in that situation. That's going to happen probably, you know, in that three minutes, probably 10, 15 times in a game.
0: Yeah. Uh, That's fantastic. So you're talking, yeah, the physical side, as it were, of of athletics and and the 400 metres, you've got the, the sort of the mental discipline of holding your position in rugby, which I, yeah, yeah definitely can can see and then also that ability to adapt your position and what you're doing almost more quickly in in the in the basketball yeah, sense all all relating back to futsal and
1: I think when you get that understanding as well you can okay. um put it into your coaching as well and then obviously you can coach players and I find if you coach futsal and then and football together, you see really good results Because um, they are similar games but you know, with that pressing as well, you can put that into your, into your football practices almost as well.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, well, so obviously, expand like, on that a bit for me. If I'm going to do, do a mean?
1: session, um, you got to think of the ball rolling mm-hmm. time. So I, I see a lot of sessions when they get straight into it, either do 11-a-side match or they do one person in the middle trying to, you know, um, keep the ball off them, which you know, in that hour session, you're not going to get a lot out of the team. Whereas, when you do a lot of futsal based practices, you can you can almost, you know, implement that football thing, but you know, take it in little stages. Um, and you can all like, I, I quite like to think, <laughs> you know, players need to be on the ball all the time. You know, small areas, they're always thinking, so that you know, that comes up crossing in their game. Um, especially like I don't get to see my players as much as I would like so I've got to pick the factors that means the most to them
0: yeah yeah 100% yeah, like, sort of I'm Yeah, prioritize not a big one on doing key, fitness
1: within a session I think the fitness comes out of the session and especially when you do like a, a practice where it's high mm-hmm. intensity that's when the fitness will come but when you're doing it within a game situation or a practice, then it comes related to that sport um and then it will come the fitness will come out and then your practice will come out as well um and if you put the two together, then you know it's a winner
0: yeah and then the there's an added well the emphasis becomes on the players if they want to get even fitter. Yeah. For them to take it and oh, do it away from the session, because as you say, you've got limited time. Rather than perhaps spending twenty-five yeah. percent of a, an hour and a half, which is all you see them a week, doing some running, when you could just get them playing a small-sided game, which is probably harder work, exactly. more yeah, and, and they'll probably um, enjoy it more. They're as going well. to be more
1: engaged, um, and you know the 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 effects from it is going to be beneficial for everyone, really. Hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I suppose just sort of taking that yeah. that forward and, and back to closer to where you are now. How, how does the how does the the financial situation differ between say futsal and football? Because with the Alb being now as in um, the, the the football club itself, the men's team in the Premier League uh, being yeah, um, that's it, yeah, and the women's team are as well. Is that correct? Um, the amount of money. That's, um, that's certainly in the, game, in the men's game is starting to come into the women's well, game. Well, at the moment, with the COVID football
1: situation, it is quite worrying, to be fair, because they've slashed a lot of the funding, um, especially mm-hmm. for the futsal programme. Uh, they used to have a lot of people go go and teach people futsal. Right. Um, they used to have more futsal leagues. And at the moment, there's no funding for it. And especially for um, the disability teams that either look... Um, who do predominantly futsal-based stuff, Um, the funding's not quite there, to be honest. Um, And then in Mm -hmm. terms of football, um, you've got to look at Brighton. They lost £65 this year um, due to COVID effects and other things. So, you Mm -hmm. know, when it comes from the top, it does trickle down to the bottom. So if the top's not doing well, then the bottom's not going to get as much. And then, yeah, it it is a worrying time, to be honest.
0: Uh, and where does the, the funding for futsal come from? Does it come from the football club to Albin in the community to the futsal? Yeah, other external Or does it come sources. from so other time, external sources? Uh,
1: Soccer AM put, put a lot of money into it, um, like I said earlier. And then um, the PFA, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the Professional Football Association, um, they used to have like a charity that would put money into it um, mm-hmm. so young people can stay active and get into sports, basically. at the moment um, it's fading a little bit and that's what I rely on to be fair is a lot of the external stuff coming through um, to be able to do our programmes basically Um, but we're fortunate enough to have support from Brighton not as much financially but in terms of like using facilities at the training grounds we get the club image um, and then we get to use the offices at the Amex
0: okay uh, and, and in terms of that, so your, your current role, do you... What, um, so my role currently exactly what is, it uh, is lead
1: disability coach. Um, so I predominantly do all the club sessions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And within that, there is um, 33 okay. sessions. And um, I do from participation <laughs> wow. to elite. Um, so every day is a bit different, to be honest. So I do an inclusive session, which is a nice, fun session for everyone to someone who is looking to go and play for England um, in their respected um, sport. And that's usually futsal for our disability players.
0: But it's all what you do. Is it all? Yeah. Um, so, players yeah, with disabilities I, I
1: Or when I first started for Auburn Community, when I was 17, I was coaching everything. So I did advanced centres, which is just a step before the academy. Mm-hmm. I was going into schools, doing PE teaching or after school clubs. Um, I've done a bit of inclusion work, which is to get kids off the street and engaged in sports. And then um, I fell into disability. So basically I did everything. Um, and then I just picked the one that I was most passionate about.
0: OK, because, yes, I was going to ask you about how did you make that transition into the coaching the, the people with, with disabilities from just the futsal, so it was a you joined, you did yeah, everything, and, and yeah. then you so sort of chose to specialize.
1: Doing loads of different things, coaching loads of different people, you know, has benefited me massively, to be honest. Um, I've coached from four all the way up, and um, mm-hmm. I've done adults football, I've done juniors, teenagers, and I've done elite to participation. That has made me a better coach um, in the long run.
0: So, what was it that made you choose the the disability sport and and coaching people with disabilities over the other bits, Um, the other options available to you? It was more
1: when I got there. um, They appreciate you being there from the start. Um, They love it from the get go. Mm -hmm. There's no. Real messing about or anything like that they just they just wanna be there, they want to learn, and then for me as well, I just felt disappointed um when I did the mainstream coaching, the lack of support um because in football, it's really, really hard to progress um in terms of you know you could be the best coach, but you know if someone's played professional football um they're gonna get ahead of you, and they get more funding. And um, then what you get, so it is, it is a hard graft, Um, whereas the disability, you know, I've, I've found my niche and um, I've progressed through within it.
0: Brilliant. And what has what, what that progression looked like, both in terms of the coaching and the qualifications and the experience you've gained? About
1: two years ago, I did my A for B. In uh, Futsal, which is a level 3 qualification um, and a European mm-hmm. recognised qualification. So I went to um, Bristol to do that. And then obviously I've completed my level 3. Um, I've done disability coaching um, badges. And then I've done a, um, a few different things from learning Makaton so I can uh, communicate with players who either can't hear or have a learner disability. Uh, so them Mm-hmm.
0: And what's that? Uh, yeah, so Mataton's sort of almost like simplified a little bit more. Makaton.
1: Um, BSL, British Sign Language. Um, so it's more like trying to sign pictures okay. um, and keep it really direct. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll be trying to sign, hello, how are you? Um, can you go here? And um, instead of trying to start a conversation, you're just being more direct, straight to the point. And it's a bit easier to understand. Um, so I've okay. put that into my coaching as well, which is, yep. You know, it was a challenge at first, but you know, like learning learning to coach someone who can't communicate, you know, that really challenges you as a coach, but again, makes you better for it.
0: Absolutely, and um, and what have you? What what are some of the highlights been for your coaching at, at the uh, you know the disability sport and and those people involved over the last sort of? two or three years? Um, obviously, from
1: the top, seeing people go on to represent um, England has been a highlight. So I've been coaching a couple of players um, in the talent programme who've gone to play for England. Uh, we recently had a girl who went to go and play for yeah. the deaf girl, girls team. And then uh, there's a young lad who's looking to you know, break into the first team of England to play for um, the partially sighted team. And then I've met you know, the blind manager, um, I've travelled all over the country um, with my cerebral palsy team, who I manage um, to play in various fixtures. Um, and then from the bottom, just to see um, players who who wouldn't usually get an opportunity to express themselves. So I had a young lad who was in a wheelchair. Um, mm-hmm. And just to see him play football for the first time, I think will always stick in my mind. Um, just to see how happy he was. And just loving it I think you know just them little moments you know are just amazing and it just makes you more appreciative and just think you know I'm doing something it, it might just sound like I'm coaching football but you're doing more um yeah. in terms of in terms of their well-being and um you know just feeling part of something being included
0: yeah fantastic and and just out of interest um I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit but where do you see yourself going in the next sort of few years? I appreciate COVID is, is a big consideration with what yeah. we do at the moment, but yeah. that, that aside, where do you see yourself going or, or what do you think the next challenge is for Tyler Henge? I think my
1: goal is to either progress into the talent identification, so working for England, mm-hmm. um, working with a specific team, uh, like a disability team, like cerebral palsy, coaching within their setup, mm-hmm. or... Like a development time kind of job, um taking on um, building sessions, making sessions, getting people involved, and um, that sort of thing, so I than them two sort of roles really, um, because i've been doing this job now coming up to four years, mm-hmm. so I've had four years uh full time coaching um, and like, i've still got a long way to go for i'm only twenty three at the moment, so you know there's no, there's no rush at the moment no there's no
0: rush ever really unless you want no. there to be yeah oh brilliant okay well well that that's wonderful and actually i think it's quite a good sort of moment to um, finish the first half there Tyler, because i as i mentioned at the start my half the half time sort of interlude this week is the idea of something called ikigai which again i hope i'm pronounced correctly but is a japanese concept meaning a reason for being um something i found upon this week and it involves four circles all interconnected like a venn diagram um, around a central point where the four sort of key areas to start with are what you love what the world needs what you can be paid for and what you are good at and as the overlaps happen on the venn diagram and the sections become more, i.e. you go from just one to two to three to four. You go through profession, passion, mission and vocation to a few, uh, four more where there are three of the things, but you're still missing one right to the middle of the ikigai, And it sounds very much there like uh, you're starting to sort of come upon your your reason for being your life's purpose there, Hensh- uh, Tyler. So I thought that was quite an interesting, useful uh, and very sort of timely Um, interlude Uh, anyone can find these uh, diagrams on the internet just uh, put in a search it's I-K-I-G-A-I you'll find the Venn diagrams um, and start filling them in and away you go and I think people may well be if they do you the exercise be um, surprised I think uh, perhaps what comes out probably uh, you'll learn uh, a few things you'll know a lot of things but actually it might be a surprise as to what comes out of it so uh, just a a useful um, interlude there but Trying coming back to you uh, and and the second half, you, you mentioned well, what you'd like to, to focus this on it, this this section on is the, the advice for younger coaches. So yeah, as a as a as a, as a young puff as it were, as a twenty three year old in comparison to my thirty eight years, which I'll give away. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so where where would you sort of where would you start on that? And, and all, perhaps perhaps yeah. a better question is, you know, what's what's made you want to come and talk about that tonight?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is looking back when I was 16 Mm -hmm. and basically just getting thrown into the deep end. There wasn't a lot of support within that or advice. And it was all trying to take it on board myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was almost like, what could I give my 16-year-old self that advice to move forward? Mm. And if I can help, you know, just one person, you know, then that's amazing in terms of, um, I know a lot of people say they want to go into coaching, but how much do you want to do it? Um, and what, what, <laughs> what, what does it mean to take, um, to go forwards almost?
0: So thinking about now, if you were you know, sat next to your 16-year-old self, what, um, what, what, would, be, what would be sort of the, the, the things you'd start to sort of get them to think about, do you think? Well, him.
1: I think obviously starting, being patient is the biggest thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is that like when you're young and naive, you want to be on top of the world already? But you've got to start somewhere, and mm-hmm. if that is literally on top of a mountain, you know, wind is going 100 miles an hour, then that's that's what it's got to be. But um, I think the biggest thing is learning from other people, finding the right people to start, and taking it aboard, because mm. you can go straight into the deep end, but. You need to learn learn the trade almost um, and, you know, take it on board, take notes, um, and then you nitpick off what you like. So I think the best thing I'd say is go and see as much as you can. So go to do loads of different sessions, learn off different coaches, and then take the best bits from that and then take it within your coaching.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and what would that be for you? You mentioned sort of applying your trade. What what would the trade of coaching be to you?
1: Um, obviously being specific to what you want to achieve. So having goals <laughs> set out in mm-hmm. place. So what what, do you, what is your aim like? Um, and have a plan going forward. Um, this I had a plan. I was going to do my level one, and then my level two, and then get experience. And that's exactly what I did, to be fair. And learn, don't just learn in one area, go and learn in different areas. Um, and then you can take that within what coaching you want to do, um, almost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, i say, obviously, my trade is um, disability-specific sports um, mm-hmm. or football, futsal. Um, so being specific to that, but then... Um, learning off other, other sports, other people.
0: Okay. And I suppose just going, you mentioned about learning, you said you, you plan to do the level one, the level two and get experience. Would, would you do that? Um, would that be advice you'd give other people now or, or, or not? Or how, how did you think having gone through that, those three steps?
1: Yeah. So I think just getting that experience is the biggest thing. Um, I know a lot of people that will go and do um, a sports coaching group degree, which is fantastic, but they won't do much coaching. I know it sounds silly, but um, they'll they'll do all the theory side of it, but they won't go and do the practical. And uh, that's the most important thing. You need to go and literally do loads and loads and loads of sessions. Learn off people and then put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Um, obviously, when I first started, it was probably – I wanted to just try and stay in my comfort zone, but you need to get out of that. And now I'll embrace mm-hmm. that even more. If I'm uncomfortable, that for me is fantastic because that means that I'm going to learn something from it. And it means that nerves is, you know, it's a challenge, but you need to take that challenge on board to progress. If you're just going to do the same session every week and you're going to be comfortable doing it, then you're never going to progress and you're never going to get better. <laughs>
0: so what have been yeah which is yeah a fantastic way to look at not just necessarily coaching but but your life and in terms of the some of the uncomfortable and challenging situations you've been in what what would they what sort of examples have you got that you've experienced
1: I think starting out um when I was like 17 was going to do adults Mm -hmm. football um that was probably the biggest thing especially men's adults football because, obviously, a 17-year-old being in charge of, like, 30-year-olds, they're looking at you thinking, like, what do you know, almost. Um, <laughs> but you've got to, it's not winning them over, but you've got to learn from it in terms of do it to the best of your ability and then figure out why are you uncomfortable. So, almost like I was uncomfortable because I thought these people were judging me. But you've got to put mm-hmm. that to the side. Um, and just get on with it and take what you're comfortable with in your specific session and implement mm-hmm. it into to that session. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there's different, different factors within juniors and adults and you've got to learn from that um, but you've got to put yourself out there at the same time.
0: And how did you deal with that? How did you put those things to one side and get on? What did you focus on? I
1: think the biggest thing I get from when when I start a new session, I always say the first session you ever do, when you go to a new team, a new group, is going to be your hardest session. The first session, when you're trying to break the ice. But my best advice, when you go to a new session, I wouldn't even worry about the coaching. I wouldn't worry about the session. I worry about the players. So just getting to know the people. So mm-hmm. get there early, get there half an hour early, and just talk to people. Get to know them, and then you get a bit of an understanding of what session, you know, is going to happen. Almost, I, I, it's hard. I, I get a feeling of a session, and um, when I get there, of what needs to be happening. Um, but that's mm-hmm. come from experience. I feel. Um, but just getting to know people is the biggest thing. So like. I like to know everything from what's their favorite football team, um, what's their favorite hobby, you know what school, what, what they do for work, you know just building them bridges you know is going to make them feel comfortable with you as well.
0: you're coaching people aren't you when you're not just coaching a sport?
1: Yeah 100 percent the people come first and then you're trying to get them to play a sport. Um, and I think that's where people go wrong. I wouldn't say wrong, but they just think, okay, I've got to plan this session, you know, and I've got to get this outcome. But if you don't think about the people first, then the outcome isn't going to happen. Um, and just getting to know people, it, it will definitely open your eyes as well. Um, knowing people personally, um, you have that, you know, bond to them almost.
0: And and how how do you... What sort of icebreakers have you used in the past? Or do you use?
1: Um, obviously, there's loads of different ones, really. Um, there's mm-hmm. loads of different things you can do. Um, I like to obviously just get there and just talk to people. That's my main thing. Just get to know them. And then just do... I like to do something silly. Do you know what I mean? Um, make them uncomfortable at the same time. But have a fun with it. So if you start off, just you know, do something a little bit silly and just have a laugh of it and then it just breaks the ice and everyone's just laughing Um, instead of being mm-hmm. tense and you know it, it goes a long way i think having fun with what you're doing you know is going to benefit
0: you more and how have you yeah th- yeah it's, it's creating that that sort of environment where people can relax because because they will be potentially as or nervous, just like just like you as the coach, um, especially if they don't necessarily know many people or, or many people that well. And and how would you? How does that differ, perhaps, in a in a session where you're coaching uh, people with disabilities? I appreciate you've mentioned uh, the different ways of communicating, um, Makaton. But but what other things have you have you found or, or noticed were were useful that you've done?
1: Yeah, just keeping it almost simple um, in terms of. Mm-hmm. The session doesn't need to be complicated to have a good session Yeah, um, and just being direct. There's nothing wrong of just saying one word. One word's more powerful than ten words, almost. Um, don't overcomplicate it. Be nice and direct. Be straightforward and then put in a little bit of energy into it. So I like to paint a picture in someone's head. Um, so today, uh-huh. you're going to be Harry Kane. We're at Wembley today. Do you know what I mean? Almost... You're not... You're not uh, you know, a muddy field, you're at this big arena and, you know, them little things um, definitely do help and it creates the energy within the session. Um, so being fun, being silly um, and being direct definitely um, go a long way within what I do. Um,
0: yeah, there's a, so there's a definitely an element of, of visualisation that you're putting in there yeah. for the players beyond, just as you say, that the muddy field, perhaps that they are standing on physically, but in their head they can be quite easily somewhere else.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they're all there for a reason. And their reason is they love the sport, they want to be there with friends. So incorporate that. So incorporate the football and then incorporate the social aspect to it as well. And then the other bits are just a bonus where it comes to the physical um, and then becoming a better player almost. So if you if you have that bit at the start, you know, you're going to go a long way with it.
0: And how do you incorporate the social side then into into your sessions?
1: Yeah, so obviously start off with. Um, I usually start off with nice, fun warm up that engages everyone. So when I do something, everyone can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then learning off other people as well. So obviously, I don't I don't force people to communicate with other people, but it will come within a session, and they won't even realize it. Um, and then little things like mm-hmm. pairing people up, putting mm-hmm. people into fours, and then, you know, you've got to communicate in some sort of way to get an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the main way, really. It's just, you know, putting people in a situation where they've almost got to talk or they've got to be next to someone. And especially like with our autism session that we run, um, these people – don't really like social situations, but they come to us and they're engaging as a group. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, no one's treated differently. I'll treat everyone the same in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. you, everyone does the same things. Um, there might be a few things where I have to adapt, but I make sure when I do the adaptions, people don't notice it. Um, and they just, and you know, it's a really nice session and they all get, get along socially. So it's fantastic
0: yes yeah, so it's it's interesting it's as you say you're not about forcing necessarily people to communicate by saying you've got to talk to that person directly but creating yeah. an environment that almost needs them to communicate to allow them to to achieve what they want to achieve and if it comes in in an, an exercise that's either competing against another group or whether they're where they're doing something where they've got to work together, then then it naturally yeah. comes and without them actually having to think or, or, or concern themselves about, oh gosh, I've got to talk to someone, it just happens yeah. yeah it's back to the environment and the situation again, and the idea of pedagogy okay brilliant uh, and in terms then of so the what 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 sort of other challenges have have you faced that you think you've, you've learned most from um I think,
1: for me personally, it's dealing with two factors. is arrogance and confidence. Um, Arrogance in terms of believing in yourself, but not believing in yourself too much that you don't take on criticism. So I think at the start of my coaching journey, um, as I got more into it, a bit more experienced, um, you almost come a little bit arrogant and you think you're really good at this specific thing. Mm. But my advice would be, if someone is... I wouldn't say criticising you, but giving you advice, take it on board. Because I I would um, probably two or three years ago would be like, yeah, but I did this for this reason. Instead of going, okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, And then that confidence factor of, you know, it goes back to that believing in yourself. If you're not confident going into a situation, you're not going to get the full um, package of yourself. And um, but being overconfident again is going to have them barriers, you know. I think the balance of them two things of arrogance and then
0: the confidence um, to express yourself. And so, how and how have you developed that balance so not becoming too overconfident, but equally not perhaps doubting yourself too much to yeah. lose confidence? How have you managed to develop that?
1: Yeah, so I, I always say to people, I say. It says to me almost like, come and watch my sessions and tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. But I want you to be brutally honest. And I've learned more from people being brutally honest with me than I have people being praising me. um mm-hmm. you've got to learn more from that aspect. But you can either go two ways with it. You can either be disheartened, or you can think, okay, I'm going to crack on here, and I'm going to, you know, take on board what is said and how can I improve it and um put it into my coaching. And then obviously the confidence thing is going to come within time. No one is going to go in and be like straight from the off. I'm not really good at this. It's going to happen with experience. And I, I was fortunate enough to, to coach nearly every day. And that experience, you build, you build, you build. And then when, like I said, when you do loads of different sessions, you become even more confident within that. And I, I pride myself in thinking I can coach anybody doesn't matter disability age or sex um i'm happy to go and coach anybody
0: okay so you mentioned then about the most brutal things oh sorry no people being you don't mind if it's brutal feedback what are some of the most brutal things you've been told or or learned from the feedback you gave
1: yeah i've had you'll never make it as a coach Uh, oh gosh okay (laughs) um yeah give up um you know, I've had, um, you talk too loud or, you know, um, you, d- you didn't put much effort into it and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, you, you're not going to make it within, within this game, um, and stuff like that, basically. And the negative ones will stick with you, but, um, it's almost like proving them wrong at the same time. Um, and for me, you know, I've taken it on the chin and I just want to prove people wrong. Um, so, yeah, it's been a journey.
0: And um, What about some of the, the most constructive, brutal feedback that you think, actually, you know what, yeah, that that is right. And apart from proving people wrong, yeah. what things have you heard that, you know, actually, yeah, that person is right, I can take that on board. What about that? Yeah,
1: for me, is the little things, the little detail. It's everything from the colour of the cone to the size of the pitch um, to the how many passes, etc. And um, I learned a nice one off uh, Chris Day who did a talent hub and it's just about the area of the pitch, making it appropriate for the players and there's always a why. Why are you doing this? So before a session, why am I doing this? What's the reason? Because before, i just put on a session and be like, and he'd be like, why are you doing this? I'd be like, well, to make him better. But like, why are you trying to get him to dribble better? Are you trying to get him to pass better, Um, et cetera? So them little things um, seem so small, but they'll go on a massive way. And just like, like I said about the colour cones, um, for players to recognise um, certain colours or how you present your layout, because it can get a little bit confusing for some players. It might look easy for me but some people might not find that easy so just little things Mm -hmm. you can change that can go a massive way
0: (laughs) and and how do you deal then with you mentioned the color of cones i'm just thinking out loud what about a a session with with well the the blind players how would you how does how do you deal with that
1: yeah so you you coach in a different way almost but you do learn a lot from it um, so you, you're you coaching close contact um, in terms of you're going more direct to the player um, and then you're coaching uh, mm-hmm. more individually than a team-based um, just to get the information across. So obviously if I'm coaching, I'll yep. use a whiteboard, but the blind players won't be able to see that. So the different ways I can coach a blind player is um, having like little mini Lego figures um, on a whiteboard and I can show them where they need to be on the pitch. Um, and describing as well, um, just thinking about how you describe it, so getting that detail across, so they can again picture it in their head of what mm-hmm. you want to for them to achieve and what they can do.
0: Okay. So, and I suppose with that, again, thinking about how do you do you do more, or how do you break down the communication part? Because does it and, and the timing does it take longer? to communicate a session to a group of, of players like that? Um I wouldn't say
1: massively. Um no? because we usually have a like we, we usually have a few more coaches on board and um, right. so we can okay. work on like a one to one basis. Right. Um, in terms of that sort of side. Um, so a coach could all What almost, sort of
0: ratios like, would you sorry.
1: Well we've got about the top of my head, six players. Yeah. Um at the moment on our England Brian program. Um so yeah, they they all have like a one-to-one coach or it'll be like one to oh, three, one to three. So, you know, obviously it's not big numbers where sometimes I'm getting twenty to thirty a session, it's a bit more smaller, so you can work more personally with that player. Right. Um so I wouldn't yeah. say it takes any longer because you're having that close contact and you can describe it to them.
0: Mm. Okay, so I suppose in a sense, yes, you, you're you're spending more more time over. For players. There isn't one coach. There are more coaches which spread communication routes out, and there's a lot more one to one.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And I I feel I can just learning them things. I can take that within my coaching, um, like. When you're doing a session, you don't always have to do stop stand still. You can literally just go over to little players and just go and then give them information while in the game. So just having conversations and going and picking players and questioning and just giving advice. You know, I've learned that from doing disability sport. Um I don't have to talk to the whole group, I can talk to individuals mm-hmm. and still get the point across.
0: And did did you mention there that you do it during games as well, if if there's a game going on?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, the blind players don't play too many games against other teams. It's more into house But um, within our other teams and stuff like that, like the cerebral palsy, um, I do that quite a lot, to be fair. Because um, mm-hmm. I feel like if I talk into a big group, it just confuses them. Whereas if I can talk as an individual um, on the basis, it, they get a better understanding of it.
0: Is if you're trying to communicate someone else's head, um, there may well be perhaps more questions that come. Yeah, to to clarify, or or there's that added that added need of of clarification. Am Am I sort of on the right lines there?
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, looking back onto when I played, my attention span like it was gone almost. Like if you talk to me for more than like. Twenty seconds I'm gone almost. Like and I I apply that into my coaching. If I get people if I do get a group in, I'll just do three key points. Um and then keep it short, sharp and direct. Mm. Because there's no point of me muttering on and then someone just switching off. Because you're not gonna get anything out of that. Like I said, one word is probably more powerful than ten words. Um just keeping it nice and direct, nice and easy, um, and then you know, you can go a long way from that.
0: yeah i think that's true of 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 anyone in, in fact um, my uh, the the deputy head teacher of the school where i'm about to go back into tomorrow in Whitehawk mentioned to me that, that there is a, a rule of thumb when it comes to talking to school children where i think you take um uh, is it the half the the the, the children's age and yeah. plus one and that's the number of minutes maximum you could talk to them for because of their level of concentration as that you would expect. It's and there's no there's no hard and fast, but there's a crude sort of um rule of thumb there and it, it...
1: Yeah, no definitely.
0: Oh. No. No. still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Brilliant. Sorry, I would just have a, every now and again a, a couple of technical issues, but not to worry. We, just as a, sort of an interesting, sort of perhaps a, to finish those, I would sort of coming towards the end, you mentioned earlier three key points um, when you're communicating. And given, well, I suppose, what, everything we've talked about tonight, as a, as a final uh, sort of point or a- area for you, what, what would be your three key takeaways tonight for anyone young? personal coach out there looking to get into coaching.
1: I think the first one's gotta be obviously we'll passion. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have a passion to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise there's, there's no point. And I feel like when you're passionate about something, you go above and beyond and you become better within it. Um, okay. so loving something, you know, and finding that passion. It's not it should never be a chore. If it's mm-hmm. a chore then you're not you're not in the right right thing. Um you know, you've got to love what you're doing and you're going to become better for it. Okay. And, you know, doing, going, like I said, going above and beyond um, comes within the passion.
0: Okay. And, so if that's uh, one,
1: what would the other two be? Um, Get experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so number two is experience. Mm-hmm. Um, learn off other people. Go and watch someone else's session. Mm-hmm. Some you don't even know, just ask. go, go and have a look. Uh, learn off other sports and then just get as much coaching as you can. But it's not just do one specific session, go and do loads of different sessions, you know, and you'll learn a lot more from that.
0: Um, And would that be number three, as in do as much as possible?
1: Um,
0: No, so number three, three,
1: yeah, so um, number three would obviously personal development. Mm. Um, I'd say, um, because, Learn what you want to learn. Go and just learn for a qualification. So like, what I mean by that is um, if you really, really want to know something, go and learn it by yourself because it's a lot of people that just go, oh, I'm going to get on this course and I'll learn something, but you might not enjoy it as much. Yep. Whereas if you go out and learn the things that you want to learn, self-development, that's more powerful than going onto a course sometimes. And just learning off other people, asking questions, um, getting networking as well. So getting to know people um, is massive within coaching, I feel, um, and just building that up.
0: Brilliant. So passion, learning from others, and then that personal development, but as you say, not yeah. just picking yeah. a course, and but really going for something that you want to, look, to know about, rather yeah. perhaps almost... Um, Giving, not giving, but but uh, delegating that responsibility to someone else, but no, it's still your responsibility to keep developing who you are in the way yeah. you want to. Hundred percent. Okay. Brilliant. Well, we've sort of come towards the end of of tonight's session and and, and the second half. Um. So I thought I'd just perhaps just leave it there uh, for the the main part of the tonight, uh, Tyler. Thank you. Very much indeed um, for coming on. I just thought I'd give a bit of a, a, a recap. So our guest tonight has been Tyler Henshaw. Um, apologies. What, what's your and your role for Albin in the community is uh, lead disability coach. Lead disability coach for Albin in the community. If people did want to get in touch with you, um, what would be the best way?
1: Um, yeah, like probably through my email or mm-hmm. um, through LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn is basically just Tyler Henshaw. Um, mm. And then um, obviously my email at Tyler, tyler.henshaw at Um Brilliant. If you need to know anything. So yeah, them two, probably the best ones.
0: And that's T-Y-L-E-R and then H-E-N-S-H-A-W. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and so tonight, Tyler's been talking about his journey and how he sort of found... Coaching and, and sport from a young or sport from a young age that then very early quickly progressed into into coaching um, basketball, rugby, football, and getting into futsal and some athletics in there, uh, and then his move into, into disability sport and his current role now for Alban in the community. And then with the second half, we've uh, talked about um, your, the advice for younger coaches, so getting out there and having having patience, knowing where you're going. Um, learning from others, as well as that idea of, of specializing and, and, and really learning about what you want to learn about, which is uh, really poignant given that my heart or well, the half time this week was the idea of, of ikigai, the Japanese idea of, of life purpose, uh, life sort of um, focus, uh, where we, we're looking to combine what we love with what we're good at, with what the world needs, and what we can get paid for. Um, as, a, as one exercise, you could do the Venn diagrams available on, online. That's I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai, for your life's purpose. So a wonderful sort of round trip there from Tyler's journey through Ikigai to the idea of some advice for younger coaches. And the final thing, Tyler's key takeaways of having the passion for what you do, uh, learning from others, being open to other people and networking, and then really pushing your own personal development. Don't just taking a course um, for the sake of it. Really have a focus on on what that is that you want to learn about. So... um, No, Tyler, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really good.
0: Not at all. Great to have you here. Thank you to everyone out there for listening and to everyone beyond that who has helped with the Happy Hockey journey uh, so far. Um, We'll be back here next week for episode nine of our podcast, um, but I'll leave it there for this week. My name is Peter Thomas and I'll leave you there. Happy Hockey, everybody. Good night.